Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of Easter, a time to remember what you have done for us and continue to do for us. Pour down your Holy Spirit on us and help us as we unpack and think about what it means to believe, to live as we believe in you. Loving Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and our minds, to let go of those things that stop us in our relationship with you and our relationship with other people and to grab hold of this faith that you have given us. And may your Holy Spirit continue to work in us and through us. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. As I said at the start of the service, for us as Christians, we continue celebrating Easter because we're in the Easter season. We continue celebrating that the resurrection of Jesus is central to our life. And so therefore we in the churches, many churches have a, a cross with a crucifixion, reminding us of the suffering that Christ had to go through for us. But we also have this empty cross to remind us that Christ has risen. And those two are important because if we only had the empty cross, we can soon forget how much suffering that Christ did for us. But if we only had the crucifixion, we would often stop, and there are some Christians who stop at the suffering of Jesus and don't understand or don't comprehend or don't live as if there's a life to live because of this resurrection. And that's what our Easter living focus is. Easter living is about over this next few weeks. And this week we're looking at Easter living is believing. I'm not quite sure when you come to a position of belief. Our society likes to challenge at times belief. Our friends can sometimes challenge belief. There are some people who act as if they need, just like Thomas, they need to see everything firsthand before they believe. And what you often find with such people, it's not just in with faith, but it's also in all other parts of life, they often live with distrust and they often live with very dysfunctional relationships, relationships which are based on proof all the time rather than trust and love and grace. In our reading today, we had a focus on Thomas and this reading comes up every year. So we get reminded about Thomas and his doubting habits. But also I think I would like to challenge you that there is more to this story than just thinking about the doubting Thomas. From verses 27 to 29 we heard, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side and stop doubting and believe. In fact, many scholars say it should say, stop having unbelief and believe, not just doubting. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. As a pastor, there are three common people that I've seen when it comes to belief. And they're probably reflected in these stories. The first is Joe and Lisa. Joe and Lisa are people who have been born into a Christian family. They've always been exposed to Jesus. They've continually been connected to a church community and always have lived a life of faith, acknowledging that Jesus is their Lord and Saviour. Sometimes they've had doubts and questions, but they've continued to have faith that there's mystery with God. And now they're raising their children at as believers in Jesus, bringing them to church and encouraging them to, to know about Jesus and helping them on this challenging journey of faith. And then there's a gentleman I call Ubercar, which is his real name because he's somebody I met in Launceston. 
And he was a person who was brought up as a Muslim, fairly strong Muslim family. But because he began living in a multicultural society, both in a refugee camp and then in Australia, he met Christians. He met Christians who showed him grace and love and mercy and that God was... And he met Christians who kind of exposed him to what Jesus was about. Now, one of the stories that often come with um, Muslims is they often talk about the dreams they have of Jesus coming to them. Now, I've come across quite a number of Muslims who have said, Jesus has spoken to them in dreams. I've never had that specific experience, but each of them have a very similar encounter, which is a very unusual thing for me, but it must be a way that God decides to act. And part of that, in those dreams, they get to see that God's this God of grace and love. And they discover through the Christian community, through engaging with uh, the scriptures and through taking notice of what's happening within their dreams, that Jesus has loved loved and died for them. They've been people who kind of have converted, if you'd say, so their belief has come later in life. And sometimes they're not Muslim, but sometimes they're people who have, for whatever reason, have not been of faith and at some stage have engaged with faith. Sometimes it's because of a difficulty that they've had, but other times it's because they've engaged with other Christians in their life. And then there's, and this is also quite common, is a gentleman called Francis. Francis was born into a Christian family, but in his late teens found Christianity somewhat irrelevant. And he thought, what's the point? You know, I've got all these other interests. I enjoy these things. Coming to church on Sunday morning means I have to get up early. Oh, what a nuisance. All that sort of stuff comes into his life. However, at some stage later in his life, for whatever reason, there's always a number of things or things that happen, that, or at least one thing that happens, that gets them thinking about, oh, this Jesus that I know of, that I was taught and given as a, as a child or early in my life, has got some relevance. And they later connect, reconnect with Jesus and the church and the Christian faith. And they discover that Jesus is about a life-giving God more than anything else. And part of their problem previously has been that they've thought of Jesus as just about rules and regulations and about you have to do things without understanding there's a bigger purpose behind the stuff we have to do. I'll put it this way, you know, I, I was one of these people like Francis who left the church, who had disengaged from Christianity for a little while. And because I had this idea that what it was was, oh, you have to go to church, you have to do this, you have to be a goody two-shoe, And yet all my friends who didn't go to church seemed to be getting along better in life. However, later in life, what what happened was I, you know, some things prompted, but I started to engage with the God of the Bible and reading the Bible. And fortunately, I had some Christians around me who didn't talk about the rules you have to do first. They talked about the life that God gives and to trust in that. And I remember doing an Alpha course which really opened up things. So if you're ever struggling in this area, I'd encourage you to to do an Alpha course because one of the things that highlighted was the evidence that proved how Christ was so real, that Christ wasn't just a, a figment of someone's imagination but absolutely real. And so you have these three three types of people when it comes to belief. But there are also others and you may have maybe able to relate to one of these or you may think, no, I'm a little bit different when it comes to belief. Maybe a person on the edge, maybe a bit like at the stage where Thomas is where he, he doesn't believe. But something I'd like you to reflect on is what does it mean, what does believing in Jesus look like? What does it mean for you? 
What does it look like for you to believe in Jesus? Is it just a head thing that you go, yep, I've got this, you know, he died and that, but it has no other consequence? Or is it some information that says you're going to heaven? Or is it even more that says this changes the way I see life and how I'm going to be focused? I'd encourage you to think about that. The other challenge that we have sometimes when we ask these questions, when we talk about belief, we quite often want to look at other people first. But the encouragement in this story and the encouragement today is to look at ourselves and to think first of ourselves what it means for us to have belief and how is that belief being nurtured and what does it mean for us to grow in belief. Here's the reality is no one that walks on this earth, no matter how much study they've done, no matter how long they've been a Christian, is an expert, is an expert in belief, is hit the top range of belief. And quite a number of times what I've been um, quite blessed by when I'm starting to think I've got to know more, I'm just about there, I encounter an older person who will say, I don't know enough, I need to know more. And this is a person fully of faith, have always attended church, have studied and done things and always want to know more to continue to grow in their belief. And I think someone put it to me once well, I said, the difficulty with Christianity is that it's not a course that you do that you graduate from to say, I've done enough, but it's an ongoing lifestyle that you continue to learn and be part of. Now, what we're going to do today is look at belief from the context of John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. And there's a key word in that um, text in the Greek called the word pistos, which means is the word that's translated as belief. But what pistos means, it means a broad thing. It means trusting, it means relying on, it means being faithful, it means believing, and it means being convinced in the context of the New Testament that Jesus has risen. And so when we think of this idea of belief, belief is about trusting, it's about being faithful, it's about being loyal it's about relying on. And so the idea that sometimes that they call Thomas the doubting Thomas, it's really the unbelieving Thomas because he needs more information. But can I encourage you also to keep this in mind? When Thomas is unbelieving, God doesn't desert him. God doesn't push him away and say, you're unbelieving, you're no good to me anymore. Remember, he's still part of the disciples, the 11 disciples, while they're waiting to appoint another one after Judas has gone AWOL. But Thomas is there and he's, and he's got this unbelief, but Jesus is prepared to persist with him. So keep that in mind as we go through this text. The first thing to keep in mind is this, belief always involves waiting to see God at work. What's often missed in the start of this story is the disciples, they're in a room, they're locked in a room and they're, it says they're fearful. We don't know what they're fearful about. We don't even know whether they don't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead as yet because we've just heard Mary Magdalene has told them but they haven't responded to that. Um, We don't know what's going on but what we do know is they're locked in a room fearful and they're waiting. Maybe they are fearful that Jesus hasn't risen from the dead and all the stuff he's told them about him rising from the dead won't come true. Maybe they are fearful of the Jews and the punishment they might receive just like Jesus has received. Maybe they are fearful of other things and that's the same for us as we live our life as we go out in the world there are things that we can be fearful from that can actually pull us away from believing that's the challenge for all of us 
is to live through that fear, is to live as people who believe in God even though there's some fears that come with that. But part of our life of believing is to sit and wait and see God at work. And that's what the disciples were doing. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And as you sit and wait, look for God to be at work. God can be at work in many different ways. Sometimes God can be at work when you open up the Bible and just a text is relevant. I'm dealing with an issue at the moment, at a, not in our church but in another church, helping somebody through it and I'm really struggling about some parts of it and, but I come, what happened was um, I was reading the scriptures and then I was looking for a particular passage that I'd read and I couldn't remember exactly where it was so I did the thing we all do, we go on Google Right? And I searched the passage. Well, that led me to an article that talks about a very similar problem and how to respond to that in a biblical and graceful way. And that's one way God can be at work. The other way God can be at work is through the people, that, the Christians you interact with. People who come and prepare to give you time, prepare to give you, listen to you, be with you, pray with you, encourage you. So belief involves this idea of waiting. And in our busy world, we're not very good at waiting. I know when I've got a problem, I want things fixed. Right? I have this shoulder problem and I go to the doctor and I say, and I want him to do is to, to give me a magical cure and give me the thing to fix it straight away. And he says, oh, well, we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll do this and we'll wait and see. And I go, Ugh. And that's our problem as humans. We've got this impatience that exists with us. Sometimes we're not prepared to wait because we think we know the answer. But part of belief is waiting to see what God's going to do and waiting to see what God's going to do even when life is tough and messy and difficult. Probably the biggest lesson I've learnt in life so far is that when life goes wrong, when things are not going great, yes, I yell out, and I shared this with someone yesterday in some pre-marriage counselling, Sometimes I yell out to God, God, what on earth are you up to? But I've also learned to go, let's look and see what God's doing in this mess. You know, we've got this situation in the Ukraine with most of us feel helpless about. And we want God to bring peace and, and stop the conflict. But it's about us also looking to see what God's doing to that and to see how God is intervening in different ways, particularly at the ground level and bringing and providing help. You know, I heard about a story of a pastor in Poland who's organised all this support for refugees. And so part of this belief is about believing by waiting and seeing what God's doing, having our eyes and our ears and our hearts open to watch what God is doing. The second part that is important in, in belief for us as Christians is community. In verses 19, 25 and 26, we see that belief is around community. And for, it's the same for us too. We see that Thomas was able to have belief because he was still part of that community. Now, one of the challenges for us as a church is if somebody's a little bit different to how we feel or think about things is how do we embrace them and help them be part of the community? Not dominate, not dictate to us that we should change our core beliefs, but how do we help them to be part of a community so they can grow in belief. And belief always comes through a community and that's important for us, particularly if we're introverts. 
Because one of the things many introverts like to do is kind of go, I'm just going to look after myself and I'm going to go back and just do my own thing and it's safer for me to be at home and if I go to church, Pastor Richard might ask me a question. You know, might, you know, some people say to me, when you ask that faith talk question, I don't like that because what could happen? You know, I'm not quite sure. But when we isolate ourselves, we're actually isolating ourselves from an opportunity to grow in belief. And so the idea of belief is not just waiting for God, but it's also waiting for God with community. And that's why we encourage communal worship. That's why when we went online during COVID, we had talk time afterwards, you know, some fellowship time afterwards to encourage people to continue to be together. Because as we discover and know that we all need relationships... And in being part of community, what's crucial for us is this interacting with Jesus. Verses 19 to 20, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fearing, fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And a few verses later, we hear a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them, he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side, stop doubting and believe. So we're not only called to wait for God, we're not only called to um, be part of community, we're also called to be part of community that's interacting with Jesus. Now for us, you know, many of us would love that Jesus walked through the door that we could put our hands in his, just like Thomas, in his, in his, put our fingers in his hands and side. But that's not where we will interact with Jesus ourselves. We interact with Jesus by being part of a community and being connected to witnesses of those who have interacted with Jesus. That's why the Bible is so important. Those last few verses from John are absolutely crucial for us to remind us that the Bible is a gift for us so we can believe and have faith that Jesus Christ has risen for us. It's not a book of laws that say, this is what you must do. It's not a book of rules that kind of go, this is the only way to heaven, in that you have to do these things to get to heaven. But it does reveal who God is. It does say the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And that is why it's important for us to interact with Jesus and listen to the witnesses of those who interacted with Jesus. And that's what Thomas did. He was listening. Like he didn't give up. He had this unbelief. He had this doubt. He had this problem and concern and question. But he still stayed part of the community and listened to them. Although challenged them probably. He sounds like one of those difficult students. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And how did they know they've seen the Lord? To see the look for the Lord? Well, what we're not told in John is this interaction, but what we are told is the women had told them that Jesus has risen. And then later in verse 30 to 31, we hear Jesus perform many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. And so we have this idea of belief grows um, through us waiting, through us being part of a community, and through us being part of a community who connects to Jesus and with us connecting to Jesus. 
So here's a couple of questions for you. How are you interacting with Jesus? How are you spending time with Jesus? How are you interacting with Jesus with others who, who, who have or who are interacting with Jesus? You know, the idea of fellowship, Christian fellowship, is so important. You know, we're going to restart our Bible studies. We're all going to start what we call hubs shortly where people meet in local areas to encourage people to be able to interact with each other and interact with Jesus. The more I read scripture, the more you continue to see this message that God wants us to have that our faith in Christ is not one that's supposed to be lived alone but lived with other people. And because when we live it with other people, we have two opportunities, one to grow ourselves from that interaction with others, but also to grow, help others to grow, to give others the assurance of God's grace and love and mercy and peace as well. As I was looking at this, there's a, there's a number of models about how people grow faith in Jesus. And one of the simplest models comes from a gentleman who wrote a book called Will Our Children Have Faith? by John Westerhoff. Because we often think of faith in a very narrow, a personal experience thing. You know, I, I, you know, I can tell my story of faith, which is I grew up in the church and my, because of my father and my mother had continued to persevere in sharing the faith. It had a great impact for me. So even when I'd strayed, I was able to come back and still have a, a core knowledge of that faith. And I was come back through a, a, a group of people who encouraged. But what John Westhoff says is this, is faith, there is a number of stages of faith and it's not that you have to go through each of the stages, but each of the stages are important in that it's important to have at least the first, important to have these stages of faith in part of our life. And if you think I haven't got one, don't stress. It's something that takes time and grows. But the first is this, what he refers to as experienced faith, where you imitate the actions of others. This is what we do. This is how we act. You know, one example of that in our, is in our, when we pray the Lord's Prayer. This is what we say and this is how you do it and you're invited to join in. That experienced faith. Right? It can go further than that. This is how we show love to somebody right? as a church. The second thing is a affiliative faith, a faith that um, says you belong and uh, uh, you're belonging to, to community and you feel at home. You know, some people say to me, I feel at home here you know, when they come. This is what we believe and do and this is my group. This is the tribe that I'm part of or the, the people I'm part of. Right? The unfortunate thing is that many people stop at these two. However, John Westall encourages us to think and to grow in the other. And the third one is the challenging one for the church. Particularly a church that is, believes that it's got everything together. Because this is the searching faith that people go through. The searching faith where people explore deeper, ask questions, is this what I believe? A bit like Thomas is asking, you know, do I really believe Jesus rose from the dead? Now, for this searching faith to exist in a church community and a home, we need to have a safe place for people to ask questions. And sometimes people who are searching for faith can be quite difficult, you know, can ask questions. You know, one of, sometimes when I'm meeting with new Christians, there are issues that they have about certain parts of the faith. And it's to allow them to ask the questions and, allow them, and to respond in a, you know, in a way that's gentle but still clear about what we believe. And the last is this own faith, the moving from searching to go, yep, I agree with this, I can own this, 
This is what I believe, a personal owned faith. Right? Now, one example that I've seen, it. this doesn't mean you've got it all together and you fully understand what we believe and you go, yep, I believe 100, 110% of what the Lutheran Church believes or I believe 110% of what every other Christian believes because that's impossible. But it's about going, this, I can own the core of this faith. I can own the core that, that Jesus is my saviour and rose from the dead. And one example that comes to mind of this is a, somebody who had been worshipping in a Lutheran church for some time but was not having communion. And I became a pastor of that church and I was just confused because this person would go to Bible studies, he'd come to worship every week, he, would, he was passionate about the faith, but I was absolutely gobsmacked that he wouldn't come to communion. I just couldn't work it out. So I asked him, I said, what's the problem? And he says, look, he said, you say in your church that when you have communion, you're having the body and blood of Jesus. And he says, you buy the cheapest wine and the cheapest bread. How could that be the body and blood of Jesus? It doesn't look like it. And we had a discussion that went on for quite some time and part of that discussion is about how, as a Lutheran church, we believe that, that it is both the body and blood of Jesus and the bread and wine. Right? And basically, it comes down to a mystery. And I said, Can you, are you happy to say God is a God of mystery? And he goes, yep. Are you happy to say that God is doing something mysterious in here, that you're receiving both bread and wine and body and blood? And he goes, yep. I said, what's the problem? He goes, I'm coming to communion next Sunday. But here's the issue, is that he didn't fully understand it. Right? Now, there's a whole story. If you want to know the background of that story, how it became the teaching of the Lutheran Church and why we, some other churches are different. I'm welcome to share that with you and spend some time with you on that. But he's owned the faith. He's quite happy. He's going, yep, I'm happy with that. Right? I can agree with that. And his other comment was, he goes, you Lutherans, you haven't got everything right, but you've got most of it right. I'm happy to be part of you. Right? And this is this own faith. And so can I encourage you when you think of belief, it's not just a head thing, yep, I believe in God. Some people go... Uh, is it about I believe in God or not? Pure scientists have major problems because for them they want to see tangible stuff and they have trouble with this belief in God. But the reality is most people develop a belief in God, this is the other part, through relationships. I've read about four books in the last month which have all talked about, and one was written by an atheist who said... Um, most people are not interested in the high-level theological discussions or talk about who Jesus is or who God is. Right? They believe in God because of their relationship, relationship with people and relationship with God. And so can I encourage you to be a person who continues to grow in faith? And there's one more aspect to John chapter 20 when we talk about belief. And that aspect is that our belief is not just a thing we keep to ourselves. It's not just a thing we say, yep, I've got an insurance ticket, I'm going to heaven no matter what happens because Jesus has died for me and risen for me. Our belief is also a call to action, a call to action on behalf of Jesus, not to prove to God that you're good, not to prove to God that you're, you're the best Christian around, but it's a call to action to share Jesus and his grace and love with others. And it happens in John 20 in two occasions. It says this, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, re- you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Right? Here they have faith in the resurrection and, they, and Jesus has said, Great, you believe, 
You've seen me, have peace, but go and share this forgiveness. And then we heard that text before that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Now keep in mind that is written by John so that we know that Jesus has risen. Part of our call as Christians is to help others to know that Christ has risen. Before Easter, I shared you that story. I went to the post office and the lady came out of the post office with the Bibles that we've got. We've got some new free Bibles from new beginners. They're nice white leather, false leather Bibles that we can give away. Um, It was quite a heavy box. And she said, I thought this Christianity was supposed to be um, light and this is heavy. And I said, oh yeah, but you've got the other thing. There's coffee and there's Bibles because the other package she had was my coffee. And I said, I've got the two essential things in life, a Bible, God's Word and, and... and coffee, and her response was, if I go to church, the roof will fall in. Well, I was in a post office the other day, and she, we had a discussion at the time, um, and I thought, no, she's not going to go to church anywhere. She tells me, ah, oh, I went to the cathedral on Good Friday. <laughs> right? She said, a lot of heavy stuff there. She said, but maybe I'll come to your church, because you seem a bit more positive. And I go, well, you're always welcome, come along. But the point is, it's about us witnessing where we can. I didn't intend to say that at the post office. It just came out as something to say to encourage people because I kept saying it's not about the roof won't fall in. That's why Jesus came. You had to deal with all our stuff and mess and we're all the same. So our call as Christians is to be people who go and live in the world who share this hope and this life and this faith and this forgiveness and this love that God has with others. That's what our call is. That's what our belief should lead us to. It's not something that just goes, yep, I'm secure. My plane ticket is booked to heaven because I've got faith in Jesus. Guaranteed, you are going to be in heaven if you have faith in Jesus. But there's a bigger calling as well, an earthly calling that changes the way you live now. So what does this mean for us living our faith? Living being people of belief, Easter people of belief. First of all, in your lives, just wait and look to see at God at work. When you're at work, when you're at school, when you're on the bus, when you're going places, when you're reading the news, just wait and see and look to see where God is at work. Now, here's what may happen at times. God may prompt you to be be at work on his behalf. But have your mind and your eyes open that God could be at work amongst this. Secondly, be actively part of God's community, the church. When I say actively part, um, some people will come to church, they sit in the pews, they listen to what we say, they say thank you and then they go home. And other people say, no, I'm going to be part of the church, I'm going to volunteer on the roster, I'm going to do these things, but I'm going to actually help others grow in belief. Thirdly, interact regularly with Jesus. Now we have the advantage through technology now to interact every day, every moment. We can get devotions sent to us by email. My my problem is I get too many devotions sent by email because I sign up to something and somebody decides, yep, Richard needs to get that devotion. But get get into a habit of reading the scriptures, reflecting, use our faith at home material, which will connect a lot to what we're talking about in church on Sundays. And interacting regularly with Jesus also means making worship, Bible studies, church, community and devotion time a priority. And fourthly, 
let your belief in Jesus lead you to acting on behalf of Jesus. Remember, in today's reading, it's about sharing his forgiveness. Yesterday, I met with an adult who's preparing to be baptised later this year. And the question they had was, reading through our small catechism, it says, um, we have private confession, which is something you can arrange to see me if you need it. But then it talks about that if somebody, you're with somebody, you can share God's forgiveness with them. And she questioned, she said, but I thought you were the pastor. I thought you're the one that's supposed to do that. I said, yeah, well, my role is to make sure God's forgiveness is proclaimed, but anyone can tell others that God forgives them. It's not you forgiving on behalf... It's not you going, I forgive you for the sins you didn't commit against me, but other people, but it's about saying God forgives you, pointing to God's forgiveness, his death and resurrection. The other important part of this is to come back to Jesus' discussion and because it's mentioned three times at least in, in, the, in the New Testament, I think it's important, is that what does it mean to have faith? I mean, what does it mean? To, how do we gain eternal life? Is we live a life of loving God and loving others. The greatest commandment. Remember our faith is one that's called to be one that we don't just keep to ourselves and go, yep, that's mine, I can do whatever I like. But one of... God speaks to me, I do stuff at home, but I also live a life of loving others as a result of my faith. And so I want to end with these two quotes. One's a quote that I've kind of put together of a number of thoughts which are very similar. It says this, the only consistent factor about belief in Jesus is believing in Jesus. People come to a belief in Jesus in many different ways and all belief in Jesus leads us to the same position. We are forgiven sinners who are loved and saved by God. You know, there's a, there's a parable, you know, of the workers where one starts really early in the morning, one starts really late, and they all get paid the same. Well, it's a reminder of, Jesus is highlighting that no matter what part of life you come to a belief in him, you're all going to receive the same gift of eternal life because of his death and resurrection. And if that's the case, we should remember that as we interact with each other and not be too concerned as somebody been a Christian for, since their birth or have just recently been a Christian, all are the same. The other, thing, the other quote that I have comes from St Augustine and St Augustine is here reminding us that belief is something that God creates in us and this is why the interaction with Jesus is absolutely essential. Because some Christians will say, oh, you're not good enough, you haven't got strong belief, you've got to believe harder, you've got to believe more. But we should always remember that belief in God is created by God. Belief in God is created by the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy, Jesus left the Holy Spirit on earth. Belief in the, God is created by the Holy Spirit working through his community and working through his word. And so if St Augustine leaves us with this, God chooses us not because we believe, but that we may believe. The idea of belief as a Christian is that it's something, a gift to God, to us. You see, he didn't push Thomas aside and say, you're not worthy, go away, when you come back, I'll be your saviour. Did you notice what Jesus did in that situation? He worked with Thomas, he spent time with Thomas, he allowed Thomas to discover what he needed to discover so he could have belief. And that's what God often does with people. And so, as you live in this Easter season, may you live as a person of belief. 
a person who believes that Jesus walked on this earth, suffered for you and died for you and rose for you, and that was his main purpose. His main purpose wasn't a whole heap of other stuff. His main purpose was to suffer and die for you so you can have life. May you hold on to that as part of your core belief and may that affect who you are and how you see the future and how you see life. Go with Jesus. Go allowing him to strengthen your belief. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift that you give us, the gift of eternal life you provide us. Pour down your Holy Spirit on us and give us a sense of who you are constantly. Lord, when we have times of questioning and doubting, remind us that you're loving loving us as we deal with those questions and doubts. Place us into safe communities, safe people to be able to work through those situations. And gracious Father, we pray for all those people we know, some of whom we think don't have any belief or no belief in you. May you be with them. May you use us and use other Christians to, to help them to have belief in you. And loving Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit continues to strengthen us Strengthen us so we be your disciples in this world, not just holding, having, holding on to the benefits of belief for ourselves, but using that belief you've given us to bless others in your name. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.